Welcome to the Safe and Sound Protocol podcast, a polyvagal theory informed therapy. I'm your host, Joanne McIntyre. Here we talk everything polyvagal and SSP related. Dr. Porges has provided us with a revolutionary framework for understanding the connection between our autonomic nervous system and behavior. The SSP acoustic intervention is an exciting new therapy helping people all around the world. Hello and welcome to episode 27. Today I have a very rich discussion with Richmond Heath about TRE, which stands for Tension and Trauma Releasing Exercises. Richmond is a physiotherapist and the executive director of Trauma Release Australia and level three TRE trainer who was responsible for bringing Dr. David Baselli, who is the founder of TRE, and TRE Australia in 2011. Richmond also holds an advanced diploma of Aboriginal studies, is a qualified Bowen therapist, teaches clinical Pilates, and has a diverse background in both public and private health sectors, including youth, community, mental and Indigenous health. Richmond coordinates the professional training and supervision of TRE Trainers Australia-wide, providing TRE workshops and training for groups, corporations, organisations and local regions all around Australia and Asia-Pacific. I'm sure you will all sense from Richmond his passion for TRE, not only in his own personal journey, but to bring this approach to others. As you will hear, the theoretical premise of TRE is very much embedded in polyvagal theory. In our journey as practitioners, we know that we need a variety of tools to draw from as every nervous system we support is unique. SSP practitioners who incorporate TRE have shared with me they find an integrated approach critical to help resource the nervous system. Please enjoy my conversation with Richmond. So welcome, Richmond. Thank you so much for coming to um, spend your time today to speak to me uh, about TRE. So I can't wait to hear more. But let's start with you telling a little bit about your journey to how you end up becoming the, essentially you're the representative, correct, for uh, TRE in Australia. Can I ask one question before we go into that again? Sorry. So is it visual recorded or is it just the audio podcast? So we do. It's both. both. Yes, it is just so I can't, you know, I don't want to pick my nose during it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You want me to start, just answer, start there and you can, you can clip it from there. Yeah. Well, that might be entertaining for some people who left that in. (laughs) Well, there you go. A little bit of, little bit of laughter is always a good thing for social engagement. Um, So my background was that I was a physiotherapist. Um, I went and did a whole lot of weird and wonderful things, worked in suicide prevention, um, did a lot of traveling around the world, um, worked in Aboriginal um, spirituality and health. And then I really came back into sort of more therapeutic space by doing Bowen therapy for a number of years um, then I taught Pilates for a long time. And at some point during my life, I'd done a lot of, or a few Vipassana meditation um, retreats, 10 day silent retreats, which were really about meditating into the sensations in the body. 
And 20 years or so ago now, that was my first experience where when I was meditating, my body started to slowly move forwards. And I thought, that's interesting. I'm not doing that. And I just was observing it because that's what the whole practice was. And just as I thought my body was going to fall forwards onto my face, it sort of just jolted a little bit. And then it started moving backwards. And again, I thought, this is amazing. I'm not doing this. Um, so I snuck back into the hall at night because you're not meant to move during the meditations. And I found that as I meditated on my arm, my whole arm would start to move and eventually spiral into these different patterns of movement into positions that I couldn't physically put my arm into. Like it just felt incredible and amazing. And so I was having this experience of my body spontaneously moving, but at that point I had no understanding or structure for what was going on. And people just like, you're completely crazy um, and there was a bit of an element of that as well because it was so out there. But so I had this experience of my body spontaneously moving. And then it wasn't until maybe 10 or 12 years later, someone gave me a TRE DVD, um, TRE developed by David Baselli, put it on, did some simple exercises, had some tiny little tremoring in my inner thighs, like almost imperceptible. Didn't think much of it, went to bed. And then the next day I woke up and I had a different body. Um, it was like I'd slept like I hadn't slept for 40 years. I remember sitting on the toilet actually, and it felt like my heels were through the ground. They felt like they were a foot below the ground because I'd had a lot of chronic tension in my calves um, and would often sit with my calves held off the floor or, you know, your legs are jumping up and down. And I just remember thinking, I don't know what this has done or what, but I know what it's done. It like had, had this instant sort of relaxation response. So that was about 10 or 12 years ago. And then I happened to be in the right place at the right time to bring David Berselli, the TRE founder, out to Australia just because I wanted to learn and he was looking to come out. And then I've been teaching TRE full time for the last um, 12 years. So I'm just going to jump in there because I just want to highlight. So even though you have done a lot of that meditative work and a lot of that sort of self-regulation, sort of self-calming work, there was still an underlying tension that was held in your body that that was not able to release and I just want to bring that up because sometimes mm. we can do all this work and I've worked with clients oh I meditate all the time and I might do some biofeedback with them and they're like they're they're so blown away that their heart rate variability mm. score is not as strong as what they thought it would be so sometimes mm. we can do all these practices and sometimes we still hold things in our bodies that we need we need other tools that we'll get in there and uh, unravel that. So I just wanted to highlight that, that you've done a lot of work, yeah. but there was still yep. something still that hadn't been released there. Yeah, and look, this is one of the things that makes mm. me passionate about TRE or any sort of spontaneous movement practice because there's many different styles around the world and in different cultures is there's a limitation to what we can do consciously through a top-down, you know, whether it's meditating or whether it's mindfulness, whether it's exercise, whether it's yoga, whether it's visualization or consciously relaxing or letting go. I always like to make the point, you know, if it was a conscious process, we would all just choose to be enlightened and be done with it. But we can't because there's physiological processes beyond or beneath the level of our conscious mind and our conscious control and so that's where with TRE, we're working with, or spontaneous movement, we're working with this true bottom-up process. Because even a lot of the times when we talk about doing bottom-up therapies, we're often either inputting externally or we're consciously using our mind to you know, move the body, which is we're working, the output is kind of a bottom-up process, but we're still coming at it consciously. And so there's a limit to how much we can move the body or relax the body 
through our conscious mind. Whereas when we start to let the body move spontaneously, spontaneously on its own, then there's a depth of movement and freedom and relaxation and reconnection and movement organization or re-regulation that is different. Um, you often use the word deeper, but just it's different to what we can do consciously. And that's where the real magic of this, um, yeah, this organic spontaneous arising out of the body rather than me trying to consciously create it top down. Mm -hmm. So, so for listeners who have no idea what TRE is, mm. so just give a little summary. Yeah. So look, in a nutshell, TRE, it kind of traditionally stands for tension and trauma release exercises, but it's really just a process where we have a framework and a way of deliberately connecting to, I'll call it spontaneous involuntary movement. Um, traditionally, we talk about tremors and shaking, but it's much more than that. And it's a trauma-informed um framework for that because most of us experience spontaneous shaking and trembling most often as adults in relation to shock and trauma you know you have a car accident your body's shaking afterwards and we've all been told oh that's a sign of shock or if you're public speaking and your hands are shaking we oh that's a sign you're anxious and it's nerves but tre is about recognizing that shaking and trembling is not part of the defense response it's not helping the body to fight or flee if, if I'm shaking and it's not helping it to freeze or fold or collapse or immobilize because it's shaking. So the shaking is not part of the stress or trauma response. It's actually how the body recovers from it, how it re-regulates, down-regulates the nervous system, dumps adrenaline by effectively using it up in the most safe and efficient way and then restores the organic freedom and variability of movement in all the systems of the body as they're coming out of those immobilized or you know, in the polyvagal model, the dorsal vagal kinds of states. So TRE is just a way of connecting with these spontaneous shakes, tremors, stretches, movements, using simple exercises and fatigue, and then a framework to regulate it and integrate it so then people can use it on their own. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I love how you're brought in polyvagal uh, because I think um, I'd love you to expand on that and how you feel polyvagal theory helps explain mm. what, what we're sort of tapping into through. Yeah. And, I think, and I'd love it if you talk a little bit about the sort of the evolutionary process and about the defence cascade mm. and then how the shaking kind of is like, and I think you refer to it in some of your notes about about the 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 recovery cascade yeah the recovery yeah. cascade or the loop or yeah yeah so look and and so one of the greatest things about polyvagal for tre is that it gives us a neuroscientific framework to make sense of this process in terms of as a recovery process what i would say also though is that to the body it doesn't give two hoots whether we know polyvagal theory whether we interpret it through polyvagal theory the body just needs an opportunity to spontaneously move. So TRE is like a modern day neuroscientific approach of understanding and working with this spontaneous movement impulse. But there've been countless cultures around the world that have been using it in other frameworks and in interpreting it in different ways. Um, as an example, the Kalahari Bushmen, one of the oldest living cultures on the planet, they call themselves the keepers of the shake. So they interpret it very differently as a connection of, you know, to the spiritual energy, but they use it for regular health, healing, community, well-being um, practices. The ancient samurai used a process called Seiki Jutsu, or effectively sort of loosely translated as life force yoga, where they would meditate to the point their body started to 
shake and tremble. In, in Japan, there was also Katsujin Undo, a regenerative movement. So there's lots of different models and ways of interpreting it. And where TRE fits in is we kind of use a polyvagal lens. And one of the greatest uh, things David Berselli, the TRE founder, once talked about, you know, what polyvagal theory shows us is that we have these ordered defensive responses, you know, from ventral vagals, calm and relaxed, truly calm and relaxed is our first way of trying to deal with stress, moving into arousal, mobilization, sympathetic system, and then moving into that containment or collapse of movement in the dorsal vagal state or the immobilization response. And David Berselli, remember he once said at a workshop, you know, doesn't it make sense that if the human body has evolved with these phylogenetically ordered subconscious automatic processes to go into defensive states, wouldn't it make sense that it would also have evolved a way to come back out of them? And that's basically what this spontaneous, again, it could be shaking, could be trembling, could be stretching, is the body coming out of the high tension or the collapsed immobility responses that are really when the body goes into a um, into a kind of trauma state. So in TRE, we use a curve or we call it the polyvagal curve. And for most of us, when we read about polyvagal theory, we, you know, we learn the three states and oh, we activate, we go up, but we never talk about, right, well, how does the body come down out of those states? It's generally just not something that we've been researched or looked at. And often we'll see, you know, the body, if it wants to come out of immobility, which is really what the dorsal vagal state is about, it makes sense that the body needs to restore movement. And in the same way that those defensive states have been activated subconsciously, unconsciously, whatever you want to call automatically below our conscious control, the pathway back out of those states is also similarly unconscious, subconscious, automatic, and it's the restoration of the spontaneous movement. So in TRE, we use polyvagal theory to just go, look, this is the recovery cascade. This is the way the body comes out of immobility. It restores pulsation, freedom of movement, flexibility in all the different systems of the body, whether it's your heart rate, your neuromuscular system, uh, or your respiratory system. So polyvagal theory has been incredibly useful because it gives us a really clear model and understanding from a trauma-informed perspective. All oh, right, this is one way of looking at what's happening um, as the body starts to shake and move. Mm -hmm. And I like, um, through working through your course, you add a different lens with polyvagal as, 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 as a movement-based lens and you'll unravel that in terms of the different movement, you know, the different pulsations within the body and how that we can have segments even within our body that may be in a more mobilised or in a more shut-down state. So I wonder if you could just talk about that a bit. Yeah, so look, for me, first and foremost, foremost, our stress, trauma or defensive responses are primarily based around movement. Now, that can be either movement of the body through space, fight and flight, or, but also movement within the systems of the body. So, you know, when we move in a sympathetic arousal and fight or flight, the heart starts to pump more strongly. It contracts more, it opens more. But then also knowing that when we go into a trauma state, and it was Robert Scayer, the author of um, The Body Bears the Burden, who first talked about this, um, you know, this sense of it's around the trauma is when the body's going into an immobility state, immobilizing. So when we look at stress and trauma from, a, from the body's perspective, it's all around movement. 
one of the limitations when we look at it in a trauma model is we tend to assess things via behavior, fight or flight, um, you know, freeze or fold, that global response. But if we break it down to right, at the baseline in a ventral vagal state, we've got calm, relaxed, embodied movement. Sympathetic arousal is about increased movement, both within the systems of my body as well as my body through space. And then the dorsal vagal state is the immobilization, or, you know, the restriction of movement. And to the neuromuscular system, at least, it can do that one of two ways, either by increasing tension, so hypertonic, more tension, which we associate with a freeze response, or even further into defense is to go into the fold or the flop where we have hypotension and we actually lose muscular tension as well. But again, when we look at our defensive responses are first and foremost about movement, then it makes sense that the restoration of normal healthy movement, or David Berselli likes to use the term pulsation, the capacity for the body to move, whether it's a muscle to relax or shorten or strengthen or correct, um, or contract, whether it's our respiratory system to be totally slow and relaxed or really vigorous and like all those different systems in the body, that's what we're looking to do is to restore the flexibility and the movement in the system. But we tend to miss that often in the trauma model because we talk about global trauma. Um, and then as you're alluding to, for example, we can look at different segments of the body can be in different sorts of states. Again, it's only a model, but we could say, look, I'm feeling quite calm and relaxed today. But if you look at someone's pelvic floor, it could be squeezed on really hard. That was the experience I had. I taught Pilates for five years. I'd done 10 million, you know, pelvic floor contractions. I thought it was all relaxed. And it wasn't after until after a few months teaching TRE, I was standing at a workshop, speaking to someone I was, and I just noticed I felt tense. I took a breath and tried to relax. And literally it felt like my bottom hit the floor. I literally turned and went, holy shit, because I felt my pelvic floor relax. So the reason I'm saying that is for 35 years or whatever before that, I never realized that my pelvic floor was tight and contracted because I wasn't aware of it. And part of what we miss often in, in a lot of the trauma model around polyvagal theory is that in that defense cascade, part of the the sort of you know innate wisdom of it is to disconnect us from the body so even in the fight and flight sympathetic arousal we're starting to shunt blood away from the hands and feet so that if we're fighting for our life or kicking or punching not only do we not bleed to death if we get a cut but more importantly we can't feel pain if we're punching or kicking and then when we move into more dorsal states we get even more globally disconnected. So we can't feel the body. It's full of opioids. So we're designed to have an experience of disembodiment when we're in a stress trauma state. Okay. Yeah. Jump yeah, in you want to jump in? I just, want, I just want to add, um, so some of our listeners would know that, um, so we provide the SSP support here in Australia. So I run SSP mentorship meetings once, once a week, once a month. And in preparation for us doing our podcast together, Richmond, I did a bit of an overview of TRE for our, our community here. And there was, we have, you know, obviously trauma-informed psychologists who are on, and they were just absolutely fascinated when I talked a little bit about this sort of um, physiological disembodiment process through the defence cascade. And they shared that, oh, I often have clients who will come in and say, I, I, I can't connect to my hands. I have this disconnect mm. to my hands. So they found 
talking about it, I'm like, wow, that is so interesting. So I probably just cut your train of thought. Yeah, no, no. Please unravel that a bit more. Yeah, no, it, look, it's great. And it's, it is, it's often an area that we don't think about it. Um, and even the term we talk about being embodied is a sense of my mind is connecting to my body. But the reality is that disembodiment, at least in a stress or trauma response, is governed by, in theory, you might say the organism. It's not a conscious choice. No one's saying, I'm going to stop feeling my hands. So it's created, the disconnection is ordered by the wisdom of the body or the organism or the nervous system, whatever term you want to use. And so this is where when we're deliberately activating the spontaneous movements, we're letting the organic wisdom of the body reinstate that connection between our mind and body. So, I mean, you think about it this way. If part of the body doesn't move, we can't feel it. You know, literally, not, not just on a global scale, like if I tied a baby's arm behind its back, when it was born and that arm never moved, the part of the brain and the, the you know sensory motor cortex that's connected to that arm will go offline and it'll start to get used for other things. So if it doesn't move, but then we can also have, for example, we might reach over and touch our toes, but there could be 15 vertebrae in there that are not moving at all. We're getting all the movements at the hips, but we don't even know we've got tension there because it's not moving. So the ability to sense the body and, and even sensations literally are involving a, 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 at a you know, micro level an element of movement um, in the body. So this is where restoring the body's innate capacity to move itself has a massive impact on you know, re-embodiment, for want of a better term. Um, again, in the same way that the disembodiment is done unconsciously, then there's also a process of re-embodiment. And my, one of my favorite examples, I love to show this video in workshops is of an arctic squirrel so lots of animals that hibernate and so their body goes into a shutdown mode completely not conscious they're not going oh, i'm going to shut it down and so you know drops down to having only a couple of heartbeats per minute or a couple of breaths per minute and then when they come back out of hibernation one of the first phases is the body starts to shake and tremble again they're still unconscious so the organism itself knows that in order to start to restore its life force pulsation blood flow it needs to start to move and then gradually they'll move back through a process of more vigorous shaking and trembling which starts to reawaken the body and what i love about that example is it's all completely unconscious you know, the, the mammal is not doing anything to try and reawaken its body or become embodied or bring it back to life. The organism itself has an innate impulse to bring itself back to life and freedom um, and flexibility. And so in a way, in TRE or any other spontaneous movement practice, we're just creating space for allowing the body to start to move itself back to life. So it's quite different from significantly different from most things we do, which tend to be top drown and consciously directed in a way in theory. And you can integrate, you know, your mindfulness and awareness, and you can integrate doing different things to help the body. But ultimately it's about simply surrendering to the body's own innate impulse to bring itself back to life. And I think I just want to highlight another example of that, because we talked about somebody coming out of hibernation that might resonate to listeners a bit more, but you have in your online training, another video, which I'll put a it is freely available on, on YouTube, so I'll make that um, in the show notes, but it shows a um, the paella, um, is it, in the in the lion's mouth? Oh, an impala? In the, impala. Yep. So I got, mm. I got a, a yep. mind block there. Yeah, the impala, and you can see how it'll go in, into basically dorsal vagal and shut down. Well, I'll let you talk about what what's happening in that video. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, exactly as you say. So there's a impala gets held. I think it's a cheetah. So it goes into it again. This is a global response. It goes into a complete shutdown that, you know, hypotension. It's gone floppy. Everything's shut down. It's heart rate. It's respiratory rate. It looks dead. To, to, you know, it's in absolute minimum survival um, mode. I think some um, baboons chase the cheetah away and then gradually over a period of time, it literally starts to shake back to life. Again, it's not a conscious process. The respiration starts to deepen and then the whole body starts trembling like crazy. Um, but it just sits there. It doesn't go, oh my God, what's wrong with me? I've got Parkinson's. I've got some neurological disorder. There's something wrong with me. Oh, I'm scared. This is a sign I'm scared. It, the, it just lets it happen. Similar to young children will tend to shake and tremble or cry for that matter, spontaneously because they're not judging it or pathologizing it. Um, again, it's literally like the body thawing itself out um, and bringing itself back to life. So that's on a global scale. But when we're invoking this shaking or tremor mechanism, we might call it in TRE, what we'll generally find is parts of the body will start to move, but there'll be other parts of the body that don't spontaneously move. But every time we practice, more of the body starts to bring itself back to life, a bit like thawing out a frozen chicken in a microwave. It just gradually takes time and more of the body starts to move. So this is why looking at movement and the body and the body's ability to segment itself, or like, you know, you could have a completely tight, stiff shoulder, but your left hip might be completely relaxed. So rather than looking at a global, am I in freeze mode? Am I frozen? Am I in fight or flight? But actually going, hang on, gee, my right shoulder's immobilized. Wow. That's not to say it's a complete dorsal vagal state, but there's that model that we have, right? That's in immobility. How do we help that restore freedom of movement? And how do we allow the body to restore it itself? So it's it's a magic, I mean, you know, it's a magic process because we're just literally reframing what in our Western world we have pathologized and stigmatized. So, you know, from a little child, you know, your first presentation in grade one, your little hands are shaking and we all think, oh my God, that's just a sign you're scared. No one's there saying, oh, look, great, Sally. That's a sign that, yeah, you are scared, but that's shaking. That's calming your system down. It's bringing your cortex back online. You're getting more embodied. Let yourself shake. This is wonderful. You know, other cultures like the Kalahari Bushmen would be like, oh, the spirit of God or whatever they might term they use is inside you. This is wonderful. This is life. This is vigor. In our culture, that's like, that's a sign of anxiety. Shut that down. Oh, you look, and it is, there is the element of it's showing me that I'm vulnerable because I am feeling scared and my body needs to downregulate. Um, but it can also be doing the same thing with excitement. Little kids at, you know, Christmas time, they just can't sit still. So the it's like a homeostatic response um, in that, again, in that model. And it's only one way of looking at it is through the polyvagal theory because we all shake and tremble. Our bodies all spontaneously shake and tremble for nine months in utero. So this is one of the limitations is when we only look at things through the polyvagal theory or the trauma lens that we are, oh, right, all shaking has to be about releasing trauma. Well, it can be. It is often about releasing tension and downregulating the system. But before that and separate to that, our human body organizes itself and creates, you know, literally our, our first embodiment happens through these spontaneous movements of the body in utero. And then as we start to move into life. So there's many different ways of looking at the, looking at TRE. And originally it was more just that trauma release model. Um, but I really like to make sure people are aware of looking at 
looking at it in multiple ways so we don't just get focused on, oh, this is all about trauma. It's all about the past. It's all about letting go. But it's also about allowing the body um, or the organic wisdom of the body as the impulse to move move us forwards, reorganize our physical structure, but also with that to get us more connected to our authentic self, which is not always easy because for a lot of us, the reason we've got parts of our body that hold intention, even sitting here right now, Mm -hmm. no matter how comfortable we all feel, whether it's me or you or someone listening, we know that if we get a massage therapist to come and push into different parts of our body, there is tension there. We call it tension. We can call it unresolved trauma because there's a bracing and holding pattern that we're generally not aware of. Um, as we lie down or stand or sit or and let the body start to move, the body itself is creating those tension place, places. None of us are consciously choosing to have tight shoulders or you know, a restricted digestive system. Or, and just as the body is holding that tension, it has the ability to unwind it or to reconnect and re-embody that if we give it the chance to. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I can feel I'm on a rant here. I need to. No, no, no. and I, I love that. No, you're saying a lot of things that it. it's great. I can say you're passionate about it. And I'm, I'm really, you know, the more I'm learning about this, this approach, yeah. I, I'm very excited about the possibilities that it, mm. that it offers as well. And I think what I really like about it is this, bottom-up subcortical approach of helping to release tensions that are that are held in the body and and there's so much more literature to really back up that to help heal is to actually go in through the body is to get out of our heads and to actually Mm. get get in the body and open up those opportunities and I think what you said too when you're talking about your pelvic floor example and you know, I know myself often I have tension up in my shoulders and it's not until I've had, ex- and I think I'm a pretty relaxed person, but well, not till you have experiences of actually like, oh, my gosh, I've just let all that go. I had no idea. Mm. I actually subconsciously have a setting where all those muscles are, are slightly tense. So often, sometimes we need different approaches that tap in to mm. help bring us aware to those different tensions that are held in our body you know. I think mm. this. I think this is like it. Yeah, it's a gift and stuff. So, people listening are probably thinking, yeah. "Okay, so does this look like like a yoga class? Does this look like when you say exercises? Am mm. I standing and am I trying yeah. to like step side to side?" So, I know we're in a podcast here, but maybe yeah. just to describe. Yeah, this is where how how a session sort of what it would look like. Where you know how you are you sitting in a yeah. chair? Are you yeah. You know, So look, you can do this in any position in any way. And there's many different ways of connecting with the the shaking and tremoring. And traditionally, TRE uses a series of exercises, think sort of gentle yoga, stretching and fatiguing the legs. Um, But what the way I tend to do it in the first instance, we generally end up lying on your back within what we call a butterfly or a diamond position, soles the feet together, knees out to the side. And then we gradually lift the knees up a little bit and hold them. And at a muscle fiber level, even if we can't feel shaking and tremoring, the muscle fibers are actually contracting and relaxing so fast that that's how we're holding the body still. So there's already a shake or a tremor. So you just imagine, for example, in a group, there's a whole lot of people lying on the floor. Knees are in this diamond butterfly position. They lift their knees up and within about a minute or two, most people will start to get a little wobble, a little tremble or something. So similar to if you've been to the gym, you know, you hit that fatigue point 
and this is what we've been told in the sort of movement or physical health models are, that's a sign of fatigue and weakness. Now, in a way it is. So we're going, right, volitionally, I can't keep holding my my body there in that position, but then it starts to get into this deeper response where the body starts to shake and tremble. So someone's knees might bounce up and down. And then over a period of time, we might lift the knees up and hold them for a few more minutes, keep going till eventually we end up with people lying on their backs with their knees up, feet on the floor in crook lying or, you know, just a relaxed position where we're looking for the body to generate the movement rather than using muscle fatigue. So initially we're using muscle fatigue to connect to the shaking, then gradually we're coming into a more relaxed position. Now that could be one person could have their knees flapping in and out, really common. Someone else could have their pelvis rocking from side to side. Someone else could have their hands and feet shaking. Someone could have their eyelids fluttering. Um, somebody could have their whole body rocking from side to side, their knees. So completely unlimited um, in terms of movement. And someone else could be lying almost looking still, like you can't see much, but internally they're like, oh my God, it feels like there's a volcano inside. There's this or an earthquake. There's this bubbling uh, vibration. And we generally use that as the most comfortable, relaxed, easy position for most people. You know, you can be doing it lying down in bed. But once people have that tremoring going, they could be sitting up, standing, lying on their side, on their hands and knees. We can generally, we just get the tremors invoked and then invite them to follow whatever positions might help their body to do more of what it's wanting to do. So, you know, if the body's wanting to almost do like a sit-up, you know, like contracting the abdominals and lifting your head up, someone might roll onto their side so that can actually move through in a much more fluid snake-like snake, snake -like sort of um, movement. So the general concept is that we're inviting the body to do what it wants to do, any kind of movement internally or big or small, and then finding ways to support and enhance what the body's trying to do. So that's where as TRE providers, we can do things to help facilitate the shaking or the tremors or the the freedom of the movement. Um, but the, yeah, lying on the back tends to be the most comfortable, relaxed position for most people. So you generally see, if you see on YouTube or David Berselli's channel, 95% of the time you'll see people lying on their backs because um, that's where most people start. But it's really valuable to actually have the body moving and shaking and trembling and reorganizing, sitting up and standing against gravity as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So two things are coming to mind. So one thing I'd like for us to explore that mm. um, like people listen to me think, oh, that might feel a little bit sort of, um, you know, often people who have trauma like to be very vigilant about how they control mm. things and this idea of their body kind of moving out of control. And I know you have a very safe way where mm. people learn. So it's not like everyone just comes in, like, okay, shake away. So just talk a little bit about how mm. you create safety around. Yeah. This. So this is, yeah, this is primary is one of the key fundamentals of TRE. So what we're doing is once people start to experience that shaking or trembling, then we get them to stop, slide their legs out, take a break and stop. So they have a sense of, I can allow this, but I can also stop this. And then once they've stopped it, then you get them to start, invoking a bit more tremoring. And so then they have a bit more confidence. Wow, I can let go a little bit more. If it gets to the point where it feels a bit out of control or it's too much, then they just stop and they go, oh, very quickly we learn 99% of the time we're like, right, I can actually control, I can turn it on or turn it off. It's really more like allowing it or stopping it or inhibiting it through the, through the cortex. So fundamental to it is that people start to feel consciously 100% comfortable and okay with what they're allowing. I like to say you're in control of how much 
you let go of control. So that's really step one is that people get really comfortable with that. What then is even more effective is we help people learn how to regulate their body's response to the tremoring. So for example, someone might be lying on their back, their legs are flapping up and down, the knees are flapping in and out, and then the movements start to come up into their chest, but their breath holds and their chest contracts. So part that part of their body, it's not a conscious process, but that part of their body is resisting or holding against the movement. So when we find that sort of resistance or protection, we just get them to stop. Okay, that's the body doesn't want to move yet. That's a bit too much. They slide their legs out. They have a break. Oh, the breath relaxes, their chest move, their chest relaxes, and then they start again because that's often the next part of the body that's about to move. So we really let people learn how to incrementally surrender to the point there. Eventually, we move beyond that sense of vigilance. And for me, this was one of the the one of the great liberating facts when I first experienced TREs, you know, up until that point, especially as a physiotherapist, I'd been trained to say that the key thing to your health, if I'm my, I'm a physio to you, is what I know and what I do. So it's kind of up to me to fix my body. It's up to me to fix your body. And then all of a sudden there was this sense of, wow, when I just let go and surrendered, my body was able to create freedom and relaxation and healing that was never going to be within my own capacity. So I found that one of the most incredibly liberating senses of it's not all up to me. It's not all my fault, you know, in terms of mm -hmm. I'm not like this just because of my own ego. Now, it doesn't discount that I've got a role to play in terms of diet and exercise and mindful, all those things. But there was this element of like, oh my God, there's this freedom. When I just step out of the way, my body has an organic innate impulse to bring me back to its most optimal sort of state, not just homeostasis, but optimal, you know, vigor and um, life force, for want of a better word, freedom, authentic connection. Very cool. Very cool. I think I answered one of the one of the one, one of the, the questions, the, yeah, about around safety. So that I know that safety. when somebody comes to a TRE um, practitioner, that there there is a lot of safety around learning to in the mm -hmm. process of of that sort of healing mm -hmm. and letting go and and yep. um, and I'm sure there's probably some people who who start who maybe don't move much and mm. they're getting a little frustrated. And do you think that is because often that it's that top-down approach of, of not kind of letting go a little bit? Is that what you notice? Yeah, I mean, so there is there is two elements. One is that, and part of the reason why sometimes people go, oh, I don't really like doing TRE after a while is because it's not directed and led by the ego. Um, and David Vesely has got so many great quotes. One of them is, you know, we heal at the rate of the body, not at the rate of the ego. Because most of us go, I just want to do things that make me feel calm, relaxed, happy. None of us go, I want to do things that help me get reconnected to my embodied, authentic, you know, terror or anger or frustration or whatever it is. So most of what we do is trying to always pick out, you know, our preferences. Whereas with TRE, your body, it's a bit like an antivirus program. It will reconnect you and lead you towards and through you know, those parts of the body that have been disconnected often because it's overwhelming. So um, one of, another one of David's great quotes is, that, and I just always love this because in our trauma model, there is so much focus on conscious self-regulation or vigilance, effectively hypervigilance. Now, if we're coming out of a dorsal vagal state where we're hopeless and helpless and there's nothing we can do, I like to say the first step of healing often is realizing there are things we can do. I can take action 
that's a sympathetic state in in model of sort of it's taking action like fight or flight i can do things to overcome this or change it so that's a great first step even with safety i can do things to help myself feel more safe consciously do things but there's another level below that which is to move into what i like to call auto regulation where then we can surrender the vigilance of our conscious mind where we're going, wow, there is an innate safety inside my organism. So David you know, Berselli once said to me about that. We were talking about how the body and trauma and the body's all being, you know, body responses are all part of the trauma model. This is 10 years ago. And he said, yeah, yeah, great. Trauma's in the body. We get that. But so is safety further in the body underneath the trauma responses. And that was a real paradigm shift for me because often we've got the model off. We go into the body, I've got to titrate going and out because if I go too far in, it's going to be too dangerous. That's very different from saying, oh yeah, those trauma responses are the superficial defenses and something deeper inside us, Terry, we're calling this, you know, the shake or the tremor mechanism or this impulse. Underneath that is already looking to come from the inside out to remove and release those defensive responses. So it's an incredibly profound sense of getting connected and embodied to that innate sense of safety in the body. Um, one Terry provider, Sharon Mullen, she's an Australian Terry provider. You know, she made a great quote one day. She just said, if you're shaking, you're safe. Now we don't think about that. We go, but I feel scared, but you go, if you're shaking, your body is, this is separate to like if you've got a pathological shake like a Parkinson's shake or something. But I mean, wow. in that moment, your body is saying, neuroceptively, we are safe now to move into recovery. Mm -hmm. Whether our ego thinks it is or not, we go, oh my God, I'm shaking, I'm out of control. The body is effectively yelling, saying, hey, ego up the top there. It's all right. We survived. It's time to recover. Let go but we've got this stigma around it and this model of, oh, but it's going to be out of control or not out of control. So it's not to discount that when people are learning, Terry, we teach them how to regulate that process, stay in control. But if we always have to consciously self-regulate our life, we're never free. It's a stepping stone to a layer where we can actually find greater freedom and just auto-regulation in the system. And that's where Again, that's where I find that is just so super exciting is that sense of putting aside, it's up to me to regulate, it's up to me to create safety and actually getting deeply connected to the innate sense of safety in the body, which is expressed as this spontaneous movement. It's the impulse of safety trying to, you know, come out of the body. Nicely said. So let's talk about, have you... You know, some of these, you've obviously been running classes and teachings for a while. So mm. any any sort of interesting observations of, that you have noticed of somebody who's maybe, you know, attended a class or who maybe had, you know, chronic fatigue or just like a complex sort of case and what, what, what unfolded? Mm. So... I mean, I'll give you a couple examples, but mm. I'll come back to it afterwards because for me, the for me, the real anchoring for this process is not the big magical things that happen, although they do occasionally happen, but is people getting anchored into the direction that this spontaneous movement practice is taking them in, which is the direction of health. So, you know, off the top of my head, I'll I'll never forget. I didn't see this person, but one of my friends and mentors was teaching a guy who had Parkinson's. So as part of Parkinson's, they often get stuck where they can't move and they get in that immobility. And so a guy came into his clinic every, you know, every 
um, massage table, every doorway, his body would stop and he'd get stuck and he couldn't move. Eventually got him on the table. He did some tremoring. I don't know, it might've been 15 or 20 minutes. Then the guy got up and walked out without any stopping at any of those, um, at any of those little, you know, normal visual barriers for him. So, you know, just like quite a profound shift. Mm. And that doesn't necessarily mean he's healed forever. Mm -hmm. by the way, but you're going right when the nervous system's in a different state, wow, those symptoms start to, can start to release. Um, just today, I worked with someone, a guy who I've been working with for about two years, um, who, whose, you know, body's been tremoring, just a slow, small little fine tremor, like a slow burn, um, came to a workshop a, a month or two ago. And then all of a sudden his body's now moving and, and freeing up all up through his chest and his shoulders, like just a profound release. Like, my God, I can breathe differently. So the reason I tend to want to focus on the direction is because we often come to TRE going, I want some magical, you know, I want to fix something. I've got a problem. I've had this trauma. I want to get rid of it. Whereas when people recognize, right, when I let my body shake and tremble, which direction is it moving us in? All oh, right, there's a bit more freedom. There's a bit more ease. There's a bit less tension. I'm a bit more embodied. I'm a bit more authentic. Then people, when they get that, they go, right, okay, well, this is obvious. I just need to keep using this. You know, I can lie in bed at night, do a shake, five minutes, 10 minutes, doesn't take any effort, don't have to meditate. Not to say those things aren't useful and they completely are, but in this practice, once people get connected to that, then they're likely to keep using it for the rest of their life because I'll say, right, this is just a natural process which can help me recover, can help me become more authentically embodied, more expressive, more alive, more creative, um, you know, through gradually releasing a bit of stress and tension and, and that. So I tend to want to try to focus people in on, not like, oh, did it take away your chronic fatigue, although lots of people might have experience doing that over a period of time is to anchor people into right what was the what what direction did it what did it make you did it help you become more healthy more vital more alive more embodied and that's where the polyvagal model is so useful because often you know there's I can't remember who said this but someone said you know if you want to if you want to feel better you often have to get better at feeling mm -hmm. so often the first state of coming down the curve is the term we use you're coming down the curve coming out of freeze is often becoming reconnected to those parts of ourselves that have been disconnected, disembodied, because they felt anxious, overwhelming, angry, all of those things. So polyvagal gives us a great model to say the healing and recovery journey is not always linear. Um, just an example from my own, my own practice, and this happens for a lot when people, we first come to TRE, we tremor, we're like, oh my God, it's amazing, I feel calm. And often we get that because it's novel and the brain loves novelty and it calms down. But then after a period of time, I'll never forget after a few months contacting David Berselli, because when I first started using TRE, I would do it and I would just go like straight into like Sartori or this state of just pure nothingness. It was incredible. And I'd sleep like a log and my mind would just be spacious and open. But after a few months, started getting, I'm getting tense again. And then I contacted David Berselli and I'm like, David, this shit doesn't work. I'm feeling anxious again. And he just leant into the Zoom call into the camera and smiled at me. And I said, oh, you bastard. Like, you know, so he, he was just this sense of, you know, Richmond, what's happening. You know that this tremoring is not putting any anxiety into you, is it? It's not creating anxiety. Isn't it? This was already in you, Richmond. You're connecting to it. This is part of embodying it as a way to then move through it and release it. So that's where that polyvagal curve and especially coming down the curve 
is so valuable because it gives a model to say, yeah, you know what? Sometimes you might find that as you get more authentically embodied, you might feel more anger because for the rest of your life, you've sucked it in, your jaws tightened up, your guts have contracted, your pelvic floor squeezed down, your shoulders are hunched up, so immobilized that I didn't even know I was angry. I was just like, yes, sir, no, sir. So again, it's not that we're saying, oh, great, we all want to go around angry, but there's a sense of, right, this isn't new. Mm-hmm. You, know, you lie down and you let your body move. We're not putting trauma into your system. We're not putting anything new in there. The body is showing us like an antivirus program what's, you know, what's real, what's, and, you know, and often that's not pleasant for parts of it. And then Terry giving us a model and supportive Great. Well, if this brings you to some unresolved trauma that you never knew about, we've got millions of therapists all around the world in countless fantastic skills who you can go and use to work through that on a psychosomatic or a you know therapeutic or a psychotherapeutic, whatever level. So it's not that TRE replaces anything that uh anything that we're doing, but it supports and enhances us because it it just works in a different way. It's a different entry point into the nervous system and the neuromuscular system. So whether you're doing Pilates and yoga and you're wanting to get more embodied, it'll help that. Whether you're doing talk therapy, counseling, it'll help that. Whether you combine it with SSP, um, anything else you're doing, it's going to help and support. And then what I'm most passionate about it is it's not a therapy. You don't have to keep seeing me. You don't have to keep paying me to do it. It's inside you. Mm-hmm. All I have to do is show you how to you know, normalize it, show you how to access it, and then just go away for the rest of your life and keep doing it. And it will take you on a, on a journey of healing growth, which is quite inspiring. Well, Richmond, everything you've just said is exactly what we talk about with the Safe and Sound Protocol in terms of, and that's why I really wanted to have this conversation with you and sort of bring more awareness around TRE because I think theory and it couples just beautifully with SSP because SSP, we talk about the exact same thing that where it's like a gateway into your nervous system to help create some slight you know improved homeostasis and Mm. connection to body and with that sometimes that can create some uncomfortable sensations you know because we're shifting all that underlying Mm. you know your thermostat in terms of neurochemistry and hormones are all you know set at a certain level based on the vigilance nervous system and then with something a bottom-up approach like ssp or we're Mm. talking about tre today creates a shift and that can create a sense of feeling oh, a bit uncomfortable or a bit more, or now I'm more aware of emotions and sensations in my body, which I just sort of, you know, being disconnected from. So it can be a bit of a, a rocky sort of journey, but it's that rocky journey that connects to, as you've been saying, authentic self and mm. and, and, a, and a way to, to healing. So I think both of these would be, a really lovely compliment to somebody's mm. healing sort of journey in a nice oh. high traded way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I really like what you say there um, because often what we have a sense of what we think is normal for ourselves is not really normal. It's actually habitual or usual. Uh-huh. You know, we've uh-huh. lived with a certain level of tension and bracing and restriction and uh, you know lack of expression. So when we're shifting out of those habitual states to a new normal, often it yeah, can feel a little bit clunky. And that's where, you know, having support sometimes for some people is really useful and valuable. Having other therapeutic support, doing all sorts of different things, um, you know, whether you're using SSP or using music or people using tapping or all these different things. Ultimately, all of our healing processes are trying to get the body to re-regulate itself 
um, in whatever way. So, you know, from my point of view, it's like we just play with play with whatever whatever works and whatever helps the the system and then being able to do it in an integrated way. So part of the TRE model is, you know, learning how to regulate your tremoring so you're not feeling overwhelmed the next day or you haven't come out of freeze too quickly or you haven't come down the curve so that you've, you know, got uncontrollable anger and rage, but you can do it in a in a way that works well for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love what you said about an integrated model. I think, you know, we're complex beings. So not one approach is the answer and where we're at on that sort of healing journey where our nervous system is, you know, maybe more open to one intervention at at one time. But I think um, in my sort of learning journey as a practitioner, as being very like neuro-based with doing EEG biofeedback and a lot of that was about tapping in to creating flexibility in the neural system was like what you talked about we're going in through the body that we ultimately want to create flexibility in that nervous system to be adaptable to to the environment. But I think what I like about um, things like the Safe and Sound Protocol and TRE, that it's this bottom-up tapping into subconscious and more sort of body-based connection Mm. through regulating this autonomic nervous system. So I think they Mm. tie really nicely Mm. and I think they lay the foundation, some of the foundations where then people can actually engage in with more momentum in what other sort of, you know, psychotherapy, EMDR, Mm. biofeedback, any of those other tools to kind of help sort of, let's sort of fine-tune out these things and process those memories and put them away in that where they need to be and, engage yeah. more now I can actually engage with my breath work because yep. my body is actually I'm connected to my body so I think these tools are wonderful for doing those sort of things mm. you know it, when so you know people are well aware of Stephen Porges and polyvagal mm-hmm. theory so we were fortunate enough to have him because he knows David Berselli reasonably well and he attended a global summit that we had online during COVID um, and it was great, you know, he'd been aware of it in the past, but one of the ways that Stephen described what was happening in Terry as super simplified was he kind of said, look at, at the baseline, any stress or trauma in the body shows up as tension, you know, defense shows up as tension. Again, it's not, sometimes it shows up as a lack of tension as well, but let's keep it simple. And he said, you know, what you're doing with TRE, it's a form of neural training where you're just asking the body to let go of its defenses, to trust gravity again, soften, relax and allow itself um, to start moving again. So it's just really that that simple. And then I asked him a question. I was hoping he'd give me a really clever answer. I said, oh, you know, what's the best way that we should be measuring the outcomes of, you know, TRE with heart rate variability and different stuff? Because, um, yeah, we're often looking for that to validate different things. Because when we do use things like heart rate variability or sleep, uh, you know, sleep apps, you can see the, the outcomes at an individual level. But he just said, oh, look, you can see the validity of it in people's faces. You know, when they get up from, they, they their faces are more relaxed, they're tremored, they're more embodied. They're, you know, often people experience changes in their hearing or their sight, colours become more vivid. There's just their nervous system is more more online and more um, open and engaged. So um, it was just really fascinating. I was kind of leaning for him towards, oh, how do we get the research, you know, measures? And he's like, yeah, you, you can just see the effect in front of you because people get up and, their system is different. You can hear it in their voice. You can see it in their face. You can see it in the quality of their breath and their movements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I can attest to that personally with some of the TRE work I've done that when you finish, you just feel this, this, this sense of 
being more relaxed your body just feels more grounded it's yeah mm-hmm. you have to kind of yeah definitely definitely have felt a difference Yeah, that's right. And it is just a matter of, you know, it's one of those things where you just got to experience it. It, You know, theoretically, it all makes sense. But once you have that experience in your own body, you're like, oh, okay. Um, All I'd like to say to people, though, again, is that, right, just because you've done one session of TRE, it doesn't mean that you really know what TRE is offering you. It's, you know, I like to say it's like the first day of grade one at school. You know, it's like I've learned one plus one equals two. I know what maths is. You're going, no, no, no. Every time you keep tremoring, your body will organize, let go of the next layer, you know, reorganize itself, let go of the next layer, reconnect you in a different way. It will keep moving you forward um, on and on and on. So I always like to say to people, you know, if you're going to do TRE and you want to give it a go, do it for three months, do it regularly for three months. And then after three months, you'll have a, a pretty good idea of what impact it's um, you're know, having for you. But again, I always keep saying, but there's always more, you know. When I started tremoring and my bum let go, that kind of became... The light on my dashboard, you know, for about six months <laughs> afterwards, I'd be somewhere and I'd be like, oh my God, my bum squeezed on. I didn't, how did that, that just happened automatically. And then I could relax it. And then, you know, after, I don't know, six months or a year and my bum wasn't coming on, my pelvic floor wasn't squeezing on all the time. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. And then one day I was like, holy shit, my guts are sucked in. Now that wasn't new. That was like the next layer. Literally I'd go, my guts had been, I've been holding my guts in my whole life. But until my pelvic floor let go, that became the, you know, and then I was like, oh, right, now I can let my belly hang out and soften. Mm -hmm. And then that was like another six months or a year. And then all of a sudden I was like, shit, I can't breathe. My whole lungs, you know, so the reason I say this is if if you had have asked me at the end of three months of TRE, what does TRE do? I said, oh, it releases your pelvic floor. It relaxes your pelvis because the tremors are there. But if you asked me six months later, I'd say, oh, and it releases your belly. Oh, and it releases. So there's this sense of why I say getting people in tune with what the direction that the shaking is moving you in recovery, healing, reconnection, re-embodiment, whatever you want to call it, because everybody's journey will be different. You know, you might tremor and go, Oh my God, my right shoulder's releasing. That was being held for years. And your toe might release next, or you might have more vocal expression or who knows. So it's going to be very much an individual journey. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why, again, I like to anchor people in your, what direction is this moving your system in? Not just, is it making you more calm? Again, that's where polyvagal is so useful. Oh, yeah, I feel more. I feel more angry. Oh, good. You could be actually more embodied. Mm-hmm. So that's a, such a valuable model for us to make sense of that non-linear journey of re-embodiment um, and reconnection, reconnecting to ourselves. And I like the, you, that the um, approach you use is a very somatic approach. The very the support around it is very body orientated of tapping into those sensations in your body. So. Mm. to help people connect to that so I like that so in Mm. terms of like ages so people using TRE with children at all yeah there are um I don't know if you know Sheila Frick who's an OT yeah so she so she uses um TRE we've just we've got a couple of OTs in Australia Kate Keisler over in Perth just finished her training so does great work with kids um so tends to be with children tends to be much more in that therapeutic uh Mm. setting um, but really all ages, when it when it comes to that end, it's more about managing the child and how you get them to, you're probably not going to do the traditional TRE exercises and that you could be sitting on a gym ball or playing games and activities and getting them to connect into that. But really all ages of people, um, yeah, you know, all ages of people, it's often older people, not always, but often older people, you know, elderly 
are often much more relaxed. They're not so worried about their identity or how they look or whether it's cool or sometimes mm-hmm. teenagers are a bit sort of like, I'm in a phase of trying to make sense of being in control and developing my ego. So I don't want to let go. And, but that said, you can have people in any age group who, you know, use it and elite athletes use the tremoring as well. Um, so they could be elite junior athletes and they're just using it for their own recovery and performance, decision-making under pressure, pressure, sleep, reducing training soreness. Um, therapists might be using it for their own somatic hygiene. Like that's, that's one of the big areas. I'm like, this is just, you brush your teeth at night. This is 101. Brush your teeth, shake, shake your body. It is just organic. And it's better than just somatic hygiene because it's not just going to clean your body back to where it was like cleaning your teeth, but it's actually a regenerative um, process that then makes a huge difference. So, you know, open spectrum. I know you'd ask, you know, who, who are good candidates for TRE? I'd say really the only limitation is that people are looking for, you know, health growth and development. If they're not, they're probably not going to do it. Um, but otherwise really anyone who's often people come to it because they've got a particular issue, whether it's trauma or an injury or back pain or chronic tension. Um, but other people come to it because they're, they're wanting to have more creativity. Right. I lie down, I tremor the, the movements meditate my mind. You get more into a flow state. Literally you, one of the things about the tremor, which I love is there's, I haven't seen anything on the planet that, that helps us in train flow states which is literally that sense of your conscious mind and ego learning to surrender and let your body do its thing that it's been trained to do. So a lot of people use it for, well, I lie down and tremor and then I've, I've got new music coming out of me or poetry or writing. So again, it's very much a global thing, but for me, especially as any, any person working therapeutically, um, any person working with polyvagal theory or the nervous system in any way, shape or form, and one of the reasons that's so um, valuable is this concept of neuroception that, you know, Stephen Poor just had to come up with a term, that sense of the body's ability to sense safety and danger in the other beings or nervous systems around us. So once we invoke this shaking and tremoring reflex, the people who do the TRE training all around the world will, you know, we use the terms, we're coming more grounded, more centered, more present, whatever it is. But literally our nervous systems are becoming more organized, more integrated, more regulated. And so that then, of course, has an instant impact on anything else we do with any clients, because no matter how beautifully I speak or how much conscious words of safety or slow my prosody down consciously, their nervous system isn't looking at that. It's looking at the reality that's inside my nervous system. How safe and embodied is that nervous system over there? And so this is one of the great gifts is as people keep using it, the moment another nervous system, for want of a better concept, walks into your room, if you're more grounded than you were two days ago, that's going to have a massive impact on regulating their system, creating embodied safety, and so that any other therapeutic process is going to be enhanced purely because of the resonance and the safety, the groundedness and the solidity in our own nervous system. So again, that's where I say, you know, and, and I like to use the term neuroexpression. So we often think about neuroception as about my, my nervous system is sensing what's around me. And that's true. When we're traumatized, it's all about safety outside the body. But at the same time, my nervous system is expressing the reality of my nervous system through my prosody, my voice, my, you know, tiny little micro movements in your face that you can't even consciously see. So as therapists, the more we can 
allow ourselves to get into those more embodied, grounded, safe states, the better, um, the better that other people are going to resonate and experience whatever therapeutic lens or or model or doorway that we come through. So well said. So well said. Often toot that horn myself. So yeah, lovely that you said that. Mm. So um, what countries have really um, embraced TRE that you find is most popular? Yeah. So look, it's it's there's there's official training in a, more than eighty countries. So that's over the last 15, 20 years. It's kind of organically spread through that way. Um, the US has a lot because David Berselli was originally based or still is in Arizona. So being American, so there was a big flourish there. South Africa has had a huge, um, you know, yeah, huge spread of it to the point that they're, and I always use this example because Australia is one of the slowest. We In Australia, we have one of the most heavily evidence-based regulated models in the world you know the americans are more legal they're not even as hardcore mm. but i like to use this example in south africa the deputy speaker of parliament is experienced tre loved it saw the value that it would have in helping all the politicians and the flow and effects of them being more grounded and centered did the training himself and now teaches polit- the politicians in the south african parliament tre brilliant so, wow yeah, I mean, there's lots of there's other examples of them using it in, um, you know, children's homes and all sorts of stuff. But for me, that's a classic example where, and and this is one of the things around the evidence based model and the paradigm of the time is because one of the difficulties with this in spreading it into evidence based Western models is it's pathologized. Yeah. So currently, if you go to the DSM four and you look at mental health, we'll say shaking and trembling is a symptom of anxiety, post traumatic stress. That it's just seen as a symptom. No, not in anyone's fault, just that Cartesian split between the mind and the body where, so shaking's just being pathologized. Um, if you're a soldier, you come back from Afghanistan and you've got the shakes, you'll probably get medication to inhibit it. So it's just, there's beyond just saying, hey, this is something new that we can use. In the Western medical model, we actually have to step aside and say, hang on, this has been pathologized. And that's a real challenge because to anyone who works in that model who has been telling people that that's a symptom, we have to be able to say, you know what, I've been getting this wrong. It's not my fault. It's just what everyone's told me. You know, Mm -hmm. as a physio, I have to be able to say, gee, I've been telling everyone to stop doing their exercises and their Pilates when they're shaking because that's weakness. I got that wrong. That's okay. Let's move on. But it can be very challenging to therapists and experts and and professionals who are seen as being expert and having all the knowledge to be able to go, we've completely got this backwards. Um, And the difficulty is when we suppress and stigmatize this recovery response, we actually close off, close the door for the body's natural neurobiological pathway to recovery. That's really critical as a, not only as individuals, but as a culture, when we suppress this, we literally limit the nervous system's ability to get back down into ventral vagal states. It, it mm-hmm. fluctuates between sympathetic and dorsal, you know, high activation, anxiety and anger. We see that as a symptom. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things I, you know, very passionate about is the, with polyvagal theories, linking that to the window of tolerance model mm-hmm. where because of the way we drive it or, or, or the way we draw the, window of tolerance we sort of go we're either too too highly activated or too low and we've got to be somewhere in the middle whereas in polyvagal theory we're going well hang on actually that's not true i could be depressed 
extreme dorsal vagal hypotensive shutting down response is a much more defended state of the nervous system than to be sympathetic, sympathetically aroused in anxiety and anger. And when we look at this model of polyvagal theory, like, right, now I'm contacting anxiety or anger or whatever it might be, I'm coming down the curve. This is taking me towards a more grounded state, whereas we have a model of, oh, hang on, this is getting too much arousal. This is taking me out of a grounded state or taking me further away from this idea of the midline. So there's this whole paradigm around, again, with polyvagal curve, not just the defense part of it, not just the ventral vagal, but the recovery part of it that can really help change our paradigm. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. the first step is changing that paradigm intellectually. All oh, right. As the body's starting to shake and tremble, as it's getting faster, I use the term parasympathetic arousal. Like, what do you mean? I'm going, this is a recovery response. This is moving us towards. So it's not about getting more activated. The body's coming from a shutdown response through the arousal to get like a roller coaster. The faster it gets, the closer it is to the ground. So the well, first also thing, there's actually you've got when somebody's in that dorsal vagal from a cortical perspective, if you did like a brain map, there's a lot of slow wave brain activity. So virtually there's no energy. If you can look at energy, right. you know, the brain's all about energy resourcing, yep. isn't it? So there's no energy in dorsal vagal. So but when we actually move out of that, mm. we've got more energy in our system. So you have more cortical activity, you'll have more alpha. So we've actually got more energy. So we've actually got something in the nervous system that we have to work with so our job then is to help help sort of okay let's take it this way in a more adaptive way but yeah yeah that's right and to help it and to help it regulate through those sort of Mm -hmm. states to getting back to more ventral vagal more integrated calm state so you know there's there's two elements to it one is going oh right i have to shift my thinking around this whole thing around arousal great but then the second level is that needs to become an embodied reality in my nervous system, not just a theory, because mm-hmm. what happens is when the next body starts to shake and tremble and get really fast, my system says, oh, this is scary, dangerous, going in the wrong direction, and my body tightens up. That causes their body neuroceptively to go, hang on, this is not okay. And then their body tightens up and it escalates mm-hmm. rather than that being an embodied reality in my nervous system. So um, that, and that just comes with you know practice and time. It takes time to grow that solidity that embodied knowledge in the nervous system rather than it just being a theory so one of the key elements of our TRE training is it's not about giving people information going here's the technique here's the information now impart it that's relevant but it's actually saying right now look what's happening in your own body is your own body becoming more grounded is this becoming more real in your physiology because that's what the other tremoring nervous systems are regulating and responding to and resonating to. So you can't fake it. You can pretend to feel safe. You can talk like you really feel confident, but their nervous system will reflect what's really happening. And then as we get more organized, embodied, grounded, whatever you want to call it, other people's bodies naturally start to resonate and move more freely with less drama. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if people want to find out more information, where where would they do that? So glo- globally, if you're listening anywhere in the world, the global Terry website is traumaprevention.com. Um, so you can look up that. And again, that's Terry and very much a trauma-specific model. Um, if you're in Australia or you want to find out more about um, sort of my way of presenting mm-hmm. it and looking at it is just treaustralia.com. So again, that has a little bit more variation beyond just the the trauma model. 
And if you want to learn it and experience it, so at the moment, I have an online course, which when I was on um, basically government pension during COVID, when I couldn't do any travel and work. So as part of that, I created a, a free online course. And you can go through that just through the TRE, just go to treaustralia.com and there's a link on most pages. So that gives you a bit more theory. Um, it also gives you three guided sessions um, there's a screening tool to make sure it's going to be, you know, a good way for you to learn or whether you need to find a TRE provider. If you don't feel comfortable, you can learn with someone like that. So yeah, my, my real recommendation is jump onto the course. It's not meant to be free forever, but at the moment it still is. So, um, you know, sign up, work your way through those three sessions and you'll have an experience of it. And then again, I say, do it for a couple of months. If you have any dramas and it's not working for you, then get in touch with a TRE provider. So TREAustralia.com is, is an easy place. And there's also more, there's lots of talks, um, free resources on there, conference presentations. So if you want to get more, like there's one literally called parasympathetic arousal. So if you want to get a bit more understanding and you want to see the graphs and the pictures, it will make a lot more sense. Um, there's lots of free resources on there, which will be really helpful for most people. Excellent. And we'll put links to those in the show notes on, on our yeah, Safe and Sound Protocol podcast Facebook group as well. And I can attest to Richmond's online training. Um, you did a nice job with uh, putting that together. Thank you. Well, you know, it's not it's not the most professionally made. It was made on my iPhone, you know, with my computer all just so it's 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 basic, but it's it is really good material. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're almost at about 7,000 people have enrolled um in it. And, you know, invariably people find it incredibly useful. Again, it's the technique is very simple, um, simple, easy, and efficient. So, you know, this is rather than going, oh, you've got to do these exercises, do that. It's like just connecting you to the tremoring so you can integrate it in your day-to-day -day life. So, you know, if you are someone listening to it, and if you're a therapist and you've got people you think might relate, please share that information um, with them. Part of the, you know, David Berselli, his original impulse for TRE, he was working as a traumatologist and, disaster areas and war zones. And, you know, one of his main postulations was when there's a tsunami and we've got 200,000 people traumatized, you know, we can't send in 100,000 psychologists to do 15 sessions with everyone. Like we have to find a way to empower people to recover and not just recover, but evolve through their trauma. So part of his initial impulse was about empowering people with this self-care, self-help, self-recovery, self-growth, um, mechanism. So that's, again, that's what I'm most passionate about is, you know, you can go into this course, you can learn, you know, th take it three hours or something, guide yourself through, do the process. And then once you've got that, you've got this resource for the rest of your life and it will just keep deepening and developing every time you use it. Um, I sort of, I think in the, in the course, I've got my two golden questions. I, you know, there's all the theory about using TRE, but I say, look, there's two questions, two golden questions. One is, are you okay? And the second question is, is it working for you? And if the answer is to no to either of those two, well, then go and get help from a TRE provider. Because again, even though we talk about TRE like a modality, this is an innate natural response in the, in the human organism. TRE is just one way and model of working with it. So your body knows what to do. It knows how to do it. And our job is just to create the conditions to give it time and space to allow it to heal and grow and integrate and embody and become more alive and i think that advice about 
if you're not okay and to go get a TRE provider is more about if you've got trauma and as you're connecting more with your body and those sensations are becoming more real or a little overwhelming possibly, that's when you've, you need to have that support by a practitioner to guide you through the process. So, so yeah. Yeah, and then, and of course, there's also lots of, it's not just about when we need help, like that's a big one for a small percentage of the population. You know, my, I would estimate, you know, 80 to 90% of people are going to be able to learn the technique mm-hmm. and not have any dramas and won't need that help. But even if you do that, there is a lot of things that you can do to help deepen the the process. Mm-hmm. So it's not about just saying, oh, just keep doing it and see someone when you need help. If you see a provider or attend a workshop, you'll actually learn ways of um, helping your body come more alive, more more quickly or more efficiently or more effectively. So it's not just about only get help. It's also like, wow, I can actually help this free up, um, free myself up even more. Mm-hmm. Mm, I see. So in winding up, is there any last, last comments you'd like to share with people? Oh, no, I've got a list here of the questions you asked me. No, look, not really. My only, my, you know, my final words would just be, you know, go and either find a provider, do the course, Find, reconnect with this natural movement impulse inside you, whether that's through TRE or Seiki Jutsu or bioenergetic shaking, it doesn't really matter. Whatever spontaneous movement practice you have, because there is a level of wisdom and you know consciousness or organization in the body, which will really, which really does lead us on a journey of sort of neurophysiological health and maturity. Um and, you know, that has a huge impact on finding freedom. I keep saying that sort of becoming more alive, becoming more authentic, more engaged with, you know, what I love about TRE is it helps us connect to ourselves, literally in our body and our, what's inside us, helps us connect to others as we downregulate and we have more capacity to be in relationship and authentic in relationship. And then it also helps us connect to the world around us. So, you know, it's a birthright that's inside every single one of us. So I just you know, encourage you to check it out, learn how to access it and use it so that it works for you, your family, your loved ones and the world around you. I like that. Well said. So thank you so much for sharing. That was just a, a really enlightening. And so, so good time. You're very welcome. I tend to ramble a little bit and get a bit overpassionate at times. But anyway, I'm trying to keep it concise and summarise um, yeah, it's it just, I'm really passionate about it because I see the changes that, that the way it supports and changes people's lives, including my own. So something mm-hmm. that people have access to, um, yeah, and yeah, really yeah. appreciative of the chance to come on the podcast and, and meet you. And I hope it's been useful and inspiring for the listeners. Yes, I'm sure it will be. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I will put links to TRE resources in the show notes as well as our Safe and Sound Protocol podcast Facebook page. In my next episode, I'm speaking with the Somatic Experiencing team from Unite, who developed a set of guidelines about integrating the Safe and Sound Protocol with Somatic Experiencing. And coming to a close, I have been thinking about this for some time, about adding a small suggestion at the end of each episode in the hope that it adds to your pathway for improving vagal tone and resourcing your nervous system. Today, I draw from the facial feedback hypothesis and the exercise targets 
the integrated polyvagal social engagement system. So let's get started with this short exercise. Wherever you are, I'd like for you to bring your awareness to your face. Notice any sensations, any muscle tension, what emotion you may be feeling. And just notice this, don't give it any energy or any thought. Now think about raising your cheek muscles toward the outer area of your eyes. You may find the sides of your mouth also want to extend upwards to help support your cheek muscles. Just allow this to happen. We're going to hold this position for about 30 seconds. As you hold your cheek muscles toward your eye, also be aware of your breathing, encouraging it to move gently in and out from your abdomen. Shoulders are relaxed. Slow breathing. And when you're ready, let your facial muscles relax. And we'll check back in to see if you notice any shifts in emotions or body states. Research shows that when we activate facial muscles typically engaged in positive affect, the brain interprets this input and thinks, oh, these muscles fire when this body typically experiences happy states. Maybe that is what's happening now and begins to create that emotion. Our brain is a predictive organ making predictions based on the sensations of our body. If you do not feel any shift, Try holding the position a bit longer, maybe a minute or a minute and a half. And just be open to any shift that may occur. My suggestion is to try this short exercise throughout the day, maybe even when you start your day. The science in neuroplasticity shows that we can help rewire our brain based on practice. We can wire in a more positive effect. I love hearing from you. So if you have any comments or any feedback about this exercise or any of the podcasts, please reach out. My email is joanne at integratedlistening.com.au. If you'd like to learn more about the Safe and Sound Protocol in Australia and New Zealand, please contact Integrated Listening Australia. The website is integratedlistening.com.au and for the rest of the world, please contact Unite Integrated Listening at integratedlistening.com.